0: In this episode, I feature Brooklyn-based conceptual artist Hank Willis Thomas. He works primarily with themes related to perspective, identity, commodity, media, and popular culture. His work has been exhibited throughout the United States and abroad. His collaborative projects include Question Bridge, Black Males in Search of the Truth, The Truth Booth, The Writing on the Wall, The Gun Violence Memorial Project, and For Freedoms, an artist-led organization that models and increases creative civic engagement, discourse, and direct action. He is a recipient of the Gordon Parks Foundation Fellowship, the Guggenheim Fellowship, Soros Equality Fellowship, Aperture West Book Prize, Renew Media Arts Fellowship from the Rockefeller Foundation, to name a few and he is a former member of the Public Design Commission for the City of New York. Hank's public artworks include the permanent installations of The Embrace 2023, which was unveiled at the Boston Commons in Boston, symbolizing love and unity. The statue pays homage to the King family, Dr. Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King, and the city where they met. REACH, a collaboration with Kobe Kennedy, is permanently installed at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. In 2019, Hank unveiled his permanent work, Unity, in Brooklyn. In 2017, Love Over Rules, Permanent Neon, was unveiled in San Francisco, California, and All Power to All People in Florida. Please see his expanded bio at CerebralWomen.com. Enjoy this episode featuring conceptual artist Hank Willis-Thomas. Hank, thank you so much for taking time out of your life (laughs) to join me on my podcast today.
1: Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Let's dive in with you sharing with us. At what point in your life did you really sense this passion you have to be an artist?
1: I don't know if there was ever a specific point because my career as an artist is intrinsically linked to my mother's career and just life. And so throughout my life, my mother, Deborah Willis, who's an artist and art historian, has been in pursuit of many questions and used her creative and personal and professional kind of life uh, as a as a pursuit to answer those questions, uh, which relate to. Who we are, how our perceptions of who we are are shaped by history and politics. And I th- think I've just been kind of picking up where my mother has left off in my own practice and have never really thought about it as much in the terms of art as I have been in the terms of just a practice of living or a, a, a way of living.
0: So would you say that this has been guided or is it innate?
1: Uh, Could they be the same thing?
0: I I think so, (laughs) considering. Wow, that's so interesting. So early on, while you're being educated, how did your professors impact you?
1: Um, My high school teacher. Miss Margaret Paris was a really amazing influence. And I went to a school called Duke Ellington School for the Arts. Um, I was in the Museum Studies program. And there was a woman named Marta Reeve Stewart, who was um, the the chair and still is the chair of that program, uh, which was kind of the laughingstock of an arts high school. Like, what do you do in museum studies was the perpetual question. And what we did is we learned about critical thinking. And so I learned a lot through Marta and uh, my other teachers. Around kind of objects and timeline and space and context and how to critique them. And Miss Paris gave me the keys to the school darkroom um, when I was, I think, a junior in high school because she saw my interest and I was allowed to be in the darkroom in high school past 1 a.m., which is kind of amazing to consider by myself. <laughs> and then In college, I went to NYU for undergrad, and there were so many wonderful professors who, all of whom are still in my life in various ways, Laurie Novak and Tom Drysdale, because my mother, after I graduated undergrad from NYU, two years later, or three years later, my mother became the chair of the photography program at NYU and was hired there. And so in a way, in that case, my mother was following in my footsteps. And so all of my old professors are her colleagues. Then in grad school, Larry Sultan and Jim Goldberg and Chris Johnson were two professors or three professors in the photography department at California College of the Arts who, again, were, they're just all people on life's quest. And as photographers, who they all primarily were, saw ways of looking as a pathway to enlightenment. And that's what I learned through each of them is a different person's practice in doing that.
0: And when did you think to define yourself or your practice as a conceptual artist?
1: Well, I first struggled with artists because, as I said, I was uh, uh, maligned as a museum studies student Mm -hmm. in high school. And then uh, one of my friends, Nikisha Durrett, who went to Cooper Union while I was at NYU, would make a joke. She'd say, what do you call people who hang out with artists? Me? (laughs) Photographers. Oh, uh,
0: <laughs> oh, interesting. And so uh,
1: kind of like, I guess when I graduated grad school, there was like a moment where photography had seemed to be accepted in the art world as a me- as a, a medium. And so I think I started calling myself a conceptual photographer. And a few years after I graduated grad school, the iPhone had come out and everyone basically had the capacity in their pockets to do what I had spent almost eight or 12 years learning. And so I really was forced to reimagine my relationship to the only art form I could really call mine, which was photography. And that's when I guess it stopped being a photographer and started to be a conceptual artist.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow! And what about your practice excites you the most?
1: Uh, Talking to strangers, which is strange because I am pretty shy. Uh, but I think whenever I get an opportunity to engage with people who I don't know, whether they be artists or people who love art, people who have experienced my art or are sharing it with the world, is that I, uh, my, 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 my mind, my heart, my perspective opens. And I think the opportunity to have these kinds of many awakenings that one has through creative engagement is a, is a really unique gift. And that's something that I, I continue to enjoy.
0: Do you think about your audience during the creative process?
1: Uh, uh, yes, I don't know how I would define my audience, and that may, that may be a problem.
0: <laughs> the eyes, everyone who sees your work.
1: Yeah, but I wonder how it relates to, and I hope at times it can relate to people who don't who don't see.
0: Uh, I like that. Do you feel black art can be defined?
1: I don't believe art can be defined. Mm-hmm. I don't believe blackness can be defined. So. I- I would say no.
0: When you're working on a piece of work, right? When do you know it's finished?
1: I don't know. I think actually the more interesting question is, when do I know it started? (laughs) You know, because I think, especially because so much of my work is conceptual in nature, by the time I actually do think of it, it's already finished. But how long have I been... (laughs) In the process of coming to awareness where all of these different ideas that I might be sorting through inside my subconscious kind of congeal into something that can kind of manifest itself into the world.
0: In the titles, when do the titles enter the creative process?
1: Depends if it's a text piece, usually and often before. In my most recent show at Pace, I would say the titles actually came after But they came as a result of a reference that's in the work, where I was referencing Aaron Douglas' portrait of Langston Hughes and realized that the poem, I've Known Rivers, The Negro Speaks of Rivers, that the poem first appeared with, was first printed in the Crisis magazine with an Aaron Douglas woodcut. And I realized that the whole body of work that I was making was very much kind of aligned with the different stanzas in the poem, The Negro Speaks of Rivers. And so the work kind of became titled by the different stanzas in the poem really organically.
0: Throughout this body of work, because the poem inspired you, did you revisit it,
1: reread it? Yeah, well, I I kind of was doing the work. And then I was doing more kind of archival research. And the, the title, the The line I've known Rivers has been there with me a lot, but I kind of, I wouldn't say I ignored it, but it just I was like um, hesitant to kind of really embrace it. And then all of a sudden it wouldn't leave me. And so I I guess I would say it never left me. So I didn't have to revisit it.
0: (laughs) Wow. So it went deep. How do you keep learning?
1: Uh, I think everyone who's living is learning. Do we, how well do we digest that's a very different question. Or how aware are we? Um, another question, but when I became a parent, I didn't realize that I'd be relearning who I am every day, <laughs> for the rest of my life, I guess. So that's, so that's one way, that's one of the many ways that I kind of, because I, I would never have thought that being a parent would realign or make me reconsider what I'm making, how I'm making and why I'm making it as a, as an artist. But now that I realize that it isn't just for me or for an audience, it's also something that two current current little girls, but perhaps their families will also be in relationship with, you know, work like the embrace, which will be around hopefully as long as humanity will be around, you know, it's going to mean something to my potential grandchildren or great grandchildren and that's a uh, really heavy, <laughs> that was a really powerful uh, kind of awareness that came to me and that did make me really consider, okay, so that, what else am I making and how else, <laughs> what, you know, what, what, what messages am I sending to the future through this work, to the future manifestations of me, if my genes happen to carry on?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you connect with young brains. at at such an early stage in their life. And you see how easily we adults can influence children. And it's it's long lasting, you know, impact.
1: Mm -hmm. But in my case, like, I never really thought about my mother's work when I was a kid. And then I think, really, probably in my 20s was I was like, Oh, (laughs) didn't I didn't even realize I was following in her footsteps. (laughs) And that's where what I mean that, like, they may not recognize that they had, that this work is, in a sense, shaping their lives or shaping the ideas that they will be thinking about throughout their lives now. And they may not even do it in 10 or 15 years, but at some point, that's going to be a major part of who they are. And I would like to be honoring whoever they are now, then, now. Right, right. And it will be when they're older that they'll appreciate
0: you. So what does your workspace look and feel like?
1: Uh, I don't have one.
0: So when you're creating and thinking, are you alone in a room? I have many. Okay.
1: Right. I don't have a traditional art practice. So what might be called my work, probably more than anything happens in zoom or, uh, in conversation, even more than what might happen at a studio or a foundry or a factory or on a laptop. So do you have an office? I have all of them. So, but yeah, that's the thing, though. Like, if I could find a place to work, a place to work, I've always imagined that. I've always dreamed of that—that that I could just have a place to work. But I think uh, I, I, I misplaced my key. <laughs> to singularity.
0: Well, if it's supposed to be, it'll be. If you weren't a visual artist or a museum professional, what other? career path do you think you would have chosen?
1: Uh, If I wasn't, I mean, well, I I, I always say that I I tend to say that I'm not an artist, I'm a person, and that every person is a creator is an artist. Like, but you're obviously you're an artist, right? That's why I'm happy to be part of your art right now. Thank you. And, um, you know, how we dress, how we speak, how we navigate the world, how we praise or celebrate or commune, those are all creative practices. And one of the things that happened, I think, as a result of kind of modernization and Westernization of like the collective psyche is that what used to be just life has become kind of organized and compartmentalized and in a way attempting to define or put constraints around art is a form of killing the human spirit. So I think there's a romantic idea of like, (laughs) I'm more like, who would I be if I was like a real artist? Who would I be if I could just sit one place and romantically paint and draw and that was my existence? That's that's probably what I would be if I wasn't (laughs) whatever I am now. You're an artist
0: saving us. Art will save us and you're definitely a a big participant in that.
1: No pressure. (laughs)
0: what would you say have been the most substantial challenges you've had
1: just being a human being (laughs) like anyone else just waking up and being like wow this is it this is my chance this is how i literally just the basics you know i think i would say that my most conscious challenge on a day-to-day now is not being sucked too deeply into the matrix you know i'm aware uh even, even as i participate in this form of media of it we've become strangers to silence that i am addicted to podcasts audiobooks youtube social media the news anything to keep me from being here and now and that is a real challenge when it comes to desire being not woke but wide awake um, about being present in the moment and ingratitude because I'm always somewhere else or just coming back or headed there.
0: How does music affect you?
1: Well, I'm in a two and four-year-old child age. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, I didn't ask you, do you listen to music while you work? Because I'm like, I don't know if that works.
1: Yeah. I mean, I personally love just having music playing everywhere whenever I'm doing something. and but. What i didn't realize is how soothing music can be to the soul just in a really visceral way until i became a parent and watched a screaming child's nerves be calmed by having a familiar sweet sound Mm -hmm. and that healing power of music i've always loved the, the way that music kind of collaborates with our our genes with our subconscious with our like yeah with our genetics by like actually tapping into It's magic. It literally is magic music. We don't have a choice but to respond to it or to feel it. And so when a a person makes music, they're actually conjuring senses and sensibilities that we feel rather than hear.
0: God, I love that. Music is magic. It really is. What are you really excited about right now?
1: I am excited about taking on my greatest obstacle, my addictions to being relevant, being like in the know and just kind of letting go and breathing.
0: I can certainly appreciate this. I've enjoyed this interview and I appreciate your time. This is our final question. What do you feel is the purpose of art and what is your role?
1: Well, there's a quote by James Baldwin that comes to mind all the time where he says, the artist's struggle for integrity must be considered as a metaphor for the struggle which is daily for all human beings to get to become human beings and i interpret that to mean what it means to me is that our struggle to find their truest self as an artist is the search for meaning in life and that's not a metaphor it is synonymous it is the same and so i think the purpose of art is in some way um to be in this infinite quest for like the meaning of life which is also a quest for immortality in a sense right when i think about the cave drawings that were tens of thousands of years ago that are still being found those people who made those marks were telling stories not only to the people that were in the room where people who saw it in their era but to us and their marking their marks live forever so i think that is a real powerful acknowledgement for me when I go and I look at pyramids or any form of architecture from antiquity or any form of writing is that someone is attempting to be immortal. And then the purpose beyond that is to connect and to expand and to evolve and to enlighten and to complicate everything that we would like to perceive as simple. I believe that good art asks questions and the quality of those questions actually is, invites us to interpret and interrogate all that we know in a way that can be nourishing beyond expectation or even definition.
0: And your role?
1: My role is to keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> My role is to just like invite others in and to challenge myself and others to not settle. And when i say others i mean all others you know past present and future because while my work is often in conversation with people and narratives from the past it's experienced and made real in the present but the majority of its life will be in the future and so that as much as i can do in the present so that the people of the future can see the value and even find the meaning or new meaning in the work, that I am fulfilling my purpose.
0: Your work reminds me to appreciate the simple things in life.
1: Wow, thank you.
0: Oh yes, for sure. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate thank it, Hank.
1: You. It's really wonderful to be here with you. Thank you. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks Podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.